Family meeting at 10. Welcome to Family Meeting, a Peaky Blinders podcast. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. And with us today is our special guest, Rye Silverman. Hello. A Hi. Hi, Rye. Hi. Uh, Rye is a comedian from Los Angeles who is in the Bay Area for the weekend, and we snatched her up. Yay. Uh, she's also a listener slash cousin slash customer. Uh, so that's always exciting for us. Indeed. Nice. We love having guests who know our work. Um, it's really great for our egos. It would be weird if you had guests that didn't know your work, and people who came in like... <laughs> well, it's less about our work in some cases and more like... Oh, knowing fair. about Down Abbey, but yeah. Right. yeah, but I mean, I don't listen I, to. Makes sense, yeah. I don't listen to almost any podcasts that I've ever been on on a regular basis. Oh, me either. Although yeah. sometimes we get drunk and put on random episodes of this, which is fun. <laughs> That's um, true. <laughs> uh, anyway, Rye has an album out called Intimate Apparel mm-hmm. that is available on iTunes, Amazon, all the yep, it's all iTunes, the places, all the places, iTunes and Amazon, and my label, The Experiment Comedy, sells it direct from them. I don't know if they've changed it since then, but it was nine ninety nine on iTunes and seven ninety nine on Amazon. So go where you get the good deal, I guess. Digital yeah. music is so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. Like I, when I did my EP, I have it on. I still have it on Bandcamp for like three bucks. Mm-hmm. But then I did uh, distribution through DistroKid. That's what we did, and yeah. so it's like. Five ninety nine on iTunes and Amazon, and I'm like, I don't know why that is happening, but it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's you know, I'll Google something like so. I was googling whatever movie the other day, and it was like you can watch it for two ninety nine on Google Play or four ninety nine on Vudu, and I'm like, why would anybody choose the second one? Like. The only time I can see that working out is if you had like a store credit for one of those things. Like, yeah. Or if you're somebody who's like virulently anti-Google yeah. or Amazon or something, and you're like, I'm going to support these mom and pop streaming yeah. websites. <laughs> Although in my case, like, I'm not going to support Amazon. I'm going to support Apple. Like, oh. Stream locally. <laughs> Think globally. <laughs> and if you do, for some reason, want... Like if you're one of those people, weird people who like physical copies of things, I do have physical CDs as well. If you just message, like, so I have a Facebook page for Rice Silverman. So if you just send a message on there, I'll sell them to you for like ten bucks plus shipping. So. Fantastic, great, yeah. great. Okay, so now that we have all the exciting housekeeping <laughs> out of the way, uh, we're going to talk about Peaky Blinders season two, episode two. That's right. <laughs> um, oh, but first, let's talk a little about Downton Abbey. Sure. sure. Here. Since that's the one thing I know things about. You do know things about that. Yeah. I'm really excited that you don't know anything about Peaky Blinders yeah. because that always makes for fun podcasting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That should just be a podcast where like the person just doesn't know what you're going to talk about. And then it's like, we're going to talk about the Crimean war. And then they're just like, what? Okay. Is that like a Crimean mushroom? Waka waka. <laughs> um, I know about history. Yeah. I don't know about <laughs> Killian Murphy's involvement in history. It is considerable. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I will say, I'm so glad that it I am extensive doing this and show violent. It is making me realize how much I should be watching Peaky Blinders. It's always been like on my list of shows to get to. And now that I realize how short the seasons are, too, I forgot that it was. British. Yeah, it's I'm only like, six. Oh, right. se- yeah, yeah, it's it's wonderful. We love yeah. it. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> we're doing a whole podcast about it. Um, but speaking of things we also love slash love hate, <laughs> uh, tell us your thoughts on on Downton. You know, the previous season, the season to come, things you like, things you don't like. I Maggie like- Smith. Uh, I mean, I, I give Maggie Smith all the Maggie Smiths. In yes, the world, so, absolutely. Of course, I I like this most recent season a lot more than the past two. I feel like it had a little bit more sense of direction. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like they've kind of finally gotten over the fact that they didn't expect to lose two main character actors like when they did. So like yeah. they finally figured out how to deal without having Matthew around. Looking back on that, it really does feel like a really like acrimonious divorce. Yeah, yeah. That like just 
Julian Fellows did not handle it well. No. And I'm <laughs> just like, okay, like this is this is show business. Like people yeah. like and you know, even right. not show business, people just leave jobs sometimes. Yeah. And you can't take it personal. Well, I remember like I got in an argument with you about, about the cause they're bringing back heroes on NBC and I was talking about oh, how right. I got really sick of that show when it was airing anyway. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And someone's like, Well, you, you gotta blame the writer's strike for that. And I go, Yeah. Well, you do and you don't, because that happened in their second season and the show was still f- like flying off the rails in the third and fourth season. Yeah. It's like you eventually have to go like a lot of other shows lost their production schedule for yeah. the writer's strike. And and they managed to be okay with it. Breaking well, Bad may have made better because of it. And Friday Night Lights as well. Yeah, for and I sure. think uh, 30 Rock as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were just there were a lot of shows where it was like, it turns out maybe we need a break. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while to like sit back and be like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> really? So I feel like, sometimes, I feel like uh, the mark of a good showrunner and stuff is when you can react to unexpected things. Like, mm-hmm. another, you know, to use Breaking Bad example again, they thought they were going to have the actor who played Tuco for like a long time. Yeah. And they couldn't get him out of his contract with Criminal Minds to both shows so they but then because of that they created Gus Fring which is such a better character well and I was just reading somewhere that Gus Fring was supposed to die Mm -hmm. he was either supposed to die or actually um uh, Tio Salamanca was supposed to be the big bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah Like for the yeah, yeah. for the remainder of the series, mm-hmm. but then Gus Fring was so great. Yeah. And Giancarlo Esposito was so amazing in the role. They yeah. liked him so much they were considering even having him not die at the end of the season. That's uh-huh. spoiler alert. That <laughs> and actually keeping him on the next year as like a like a the way like Andy Garcia is in the later Oceans films mm-hmm. as like a like a uh, ally who is vaguely also antagonistic yeah like a very like love hate but like like where they both were so powerful at that point that they couldn't defeat each other and yeah so they had to work together yeah which hey kind of works like with the show we're talking about hey, today. hey. Oh. how about but, uh, that but yeah and then, but then they realized no there's no way that that these two characters could live in the same mm-hmm. space and so they had to kill them off yeah. yeah well and I think what's challenging too about Downton Abbey is that the action has to be so centered at Downton Abbey. Right. And the things mm-hmm. that are really interesting that are happening during this time period are not happening at these country houses. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and not to knock the country houses except for our socialist leanings. <laughs> but uh, you know, the you know, the bachelor girls living in the cities and yeah. you know, people sort of defecting from service to go work in factories and things like that. Um it's just more interesting, but the story here is just it's like this long dying death rattle uh, mm-hmm. of these and you know we see a little with like Branson being the estate agent and kind of trying to modernize but I mean that's all presented through this lens of Lord Grantham being like harumph yeah. get off of well, my ridiculously all... large lawn and yeah. even the Branson stuff it feels like they're working him away from him being the revolutionary yeah. like, oh absolutely like, it's like so it's like it's like a thing where it's like we're trying to act like the revolution just made the middle like the upper class stronger somehow by having agents like what mm-hmm. no that's not what uh. yeah well I mean if you read any history book uh, <laughs> the revolution does make the upper class stronger of course we felt that way all along <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I thought it was a stronger season I do agree with you guys on the show how weird it is that Rose went from being like the crazy party girl mm-hmm. like the the troublemaker to being this like just sweet like just completely charitable but I yeah. think so much I think because you know obviously a huge part of the audience for Downton Abbey are these older conservative people mm-hmm. who don't know what podcasts are <laughs> um, uh, but like it's these people who 
want you know they want to believe yeah they want they want to think that when their granddaughter starts you know doing blow in a nightclub <laughs> that she's gonna you know she's gonna pull back from that yeah yeah and they want to believe that you know the worst when, she'll do is marry a jew yeah <laughs> that's like oh okay you know well you know it's not the other option we're not and, thrilled and to be but clear, a jew that like can pass <laughs> yeah. and it's gonna be fine yeah. yeah 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 um but it's like there is that element of wish fulfillment, you know, and, and mm-hmm. that everything's going to be okay. Yeah, like, yeah. even after this horrible war. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it sucks that Matthew is gone, but hey, here's yeah, yeah. Matthew good. And it's also, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More like Matthew better. Uh, <laughs> don't even, like, yeah, I, I can't, I cannot see that man without having a visceral, visceral reaction. I am, I, this, I would say that the appearance of Killian Murphy and Tom Hardy in the same episode of, of Peaky Blinders makes me think Matthew Good might hang around for a season mm-hmm. of Downton Abbey. Well, and I think for, <laughs> yeah. for the Brits, the, um, the, the barrier between yeah. TV and film is so much thinner. Sure. Yeah. And it's not, and I think it may be changing in the U.S. because television has finally been accepted as being oh, sure. this, you know, an art form. I mean, Dustin Hoffman was on that show on HBO. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> like, have, oh, I man. It. I always forget about that show. I yeah. loved it. I actually was really into it. We right? tried to watch it, and it turns out our David Milch uh, <laughs> levels of acceptability are set firmly to Deadwood. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, that's... I liked it. I, I didn't like it as much as Deadwood. Deadwood is a oh, yeah. Yeah. part, but I definitely liked it more than John Cincinnati because I actually watched it, so... <laughs> I couldn't get through an That's episode, fair. John. So I we ought to try and watch it sometime. Yeah, just, just for to, just for the Cincinnati part. Just for a giggle. Oh yeah, we love giggles. Well, we he's, do. He's just from Cincinnati. He's actually. You know who? Okay, and I'll say this, and then maybe you should move on to the sure. show we're actually talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah. I really want Mr. Bricker to come back. Yeah. And Downton Abbey. Like, if I had, if if Baron Fellows and Name would show <laughs> yeah. up and be like, you get one thing. It wouldn't even be. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bates needs to get his shit together. That won't happen. It would so. be, can Bricker come back and seriously bust up that marriage? Because mm-hmm. I just feel like McGee gets shit on all the time. Yeah. And I don't care how much Lord Grantham says he loves her. Yeah. Like, Mr. Bricker would worship her as the goddess that she is. Yeah. And again, it's so weird that we are so, like, into McGee. Yeah. Because when yeah. we started, we were not into that. But, like, no, no. she's really, uh, she's really... I Done love a number your on us. Voice on the podcast, but it always makes me so happy. Oh, you do, thank like, you. Yeah, yeah. I always worry I can't do it in the off season. <laughs> My one fear is I feel like since we are coming up on what's going to be the last season of the show, I just feel like they're going to kill off the Dowager, and I don't want that to happen. I you know, I really want her to die. I want her to be like a. I really want to see. <laughs> I want her to outlive everybody and like be sitting on a throne of. And that's I the spinoff to- is <laughs> Dowager vampires. Yeah, well, Salem's Law. <laughs> That's the end of it. Is Salem's lot to Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> best pun I could pull off with realizing halfway through it I was going to do a pun. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> no, at the end she just goes off to take up a position at Hogwarts. and yeah. all, you she's know. God, she's so, so good. At, we just watched Harry Potter last night. Yeah. And uh, it was Goblet of Fire for those of you playing along at home. <laughs> but man, like she's so good in those movies. Like, that was like at least a 15 minute discussion about how those movies were so much better than they had any right to be. Yeah. And, you know, not that they were going to be terrible mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination, but just like 
the commitment level that all of the adult actors brought to it is what really like makes those movies. I, I do like yeah. in this modern era, speaking of that, that whole thing about the delineation between TV and film mm-hmm. and like theater, I feel like modern actors don't view fantasy and sci-fi with the same disdain that previous actors <gasps> That's did. definitely true. Yeah. I feel like we don't have any more of those Alan Rickman's character in Galaxy Quest where he's like, yeah. like, mm-hmm. like now I think mm-hmm. people actually go like, no, or people... Alec Guinness in Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, and I think, you know, that is a really interesting point. And I think it's, you can chalk that up primarily to the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. movies and then Game of Thrones, I think, really like put the nail in the coffin yeah, for absolutely. that kind of shame. Yeah. And I guess Harry Potter too, but I guess as a kid's movie, I think of it less in those sort of categories. I think but. the Harry Potter thing too is that I think it helps these actors who are Shakespearean trained to have roles that they can then apply that Shakespearean style of acting uh-huh. to. Because like you like like you know, we love Maggie Smith. She can't play McGonagall. Like she can't play that kind of character in like the best exotic marigold hotel. Yeah. She has to just play like an aging British woman. Whereas like in Downton Abbey she can be a little more grandiose. Exactly. Especially mm-hmm. in Harry Potter she can be very grandstandy and very flamboyant and a way that I think that is lost in a lot of other types of projects but like a fantasy sci-fi mm-hmm. thing you can really just choose scenery and yeah. guesting on doctor who is no longer the punchline it was in the you know christmas yeah. special of extras right for right. example and that wasn't even that long ago no. yeah yeah um yeah now you've got i mean you've got your uh your bill nighies in there mm-hmm. you've got yeah it's it's a good time yeah. what a great time to be consuming culture y'all <laughs> I mean, i'm more excited about the upcoming guests they've got coming on next season which is uh bethany black the first uh, transgender actor i just Doctor saw Who. that i excited. saw you post that on yeah. facebook <laughs> yeah but yeah so i i know i've talked a lot about every other show but downton abbey or piggy blind that's fine you know <laughs> it's nice it's here. some we've been kind of this entire summer as we're doing this we're like it's summer whatever <laughs> <laughs> well it's with a show like Piggy Blinders too like you don't have people who are watching it week to week the mm-hmm. way right. you do with like Downton where like you're like ah this show's airing I got a week, a week yeah, to listen to it it's so. definitely yeah. it's, it's a lot more time sensitive oh and to that end uh, for those of you who don't follow us on Twitter although you should we're <laughs> at Family Meeting PB um, we just found out that Peaky Blinders season three will be premiering sometime in early 2016. Uh, we're not sure when. We don't even think Steve Knight knows. <laughs> um, Tom Hardy will be back for sure, which is yeah. really exciting. Yeah, um, one, we also too don't know if that might, if there might be a different release date on Netflix than in, uh, yeah, on BBC. So. so we'll keep an eye and, you know, we'll figure all that out because it's going to be, it'll be tricky because it's going to be Downton and then Mr. Selfridge and then when is Peaky Blinders happening? <laughs> right. We may have to quit our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess we'll have to get on that whole Patreon thing. Uh, and then as always, if you want to reach out and send us a, an email, you can write to us upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com and we're also on Facebook. As up yours downstairs. That's it. All right. Peaky Blinders. Yes. yes. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. This is great. All right. Uh, so we open with PJ Harvey's Broken Harp. Uh, so we're definitely committed to PJ Harvey for yeah, this PJ season. Yeah, PJ Harvey's a towering presence <laughs> at well, this point. I like the use of the anachronistic music and things like this. Like, I know some people were really against it. Like, people were so mad about in. Um, um, and Glorious Bastards when mm-hmm. the David Bowie song comes in I'm like this is awesome like, yeah. that's how I feel that. about Marie Antoinette because mm-hmm. people who were mad about that I'm like you fundamentally misunderstood everything about Sofia Coppola yeah yeah. in the same way I get really mad about people's criticisms of The Great Gatsby the for the Bass same Lerman. reason yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and A Knight's Tale which is like such a fun uh, that was movie. the first one that's the first modern example yeah, yeah. oh man so which mad. we watched that not that long ago mm-hmm. god 
God, that's such a great movie. And I remember the director being like, you know, the songs that you want us to play are also anachronistic to this time period. They'd be 200 yeah. years later, but you don't think It's like, have you that, actually right? heard medieval songs? They yeah. suck. Yeah, <laughs> right. They're all very, very religious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, yeah. It's a much more fun version of the Middle Ages. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, along with this beautiful music, we have uh, Killian's bloody, bloody face getting carted off to... Still hot. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, and he has flashbacks to getting beat up, and we see Ada being uh, also sort of abused by her attackers, uh, apparently in a car. Mm-hmm. It's all very cut back and forth. Uh, but yeah, it is a car because it abruptly stops, and then some guys shoot the people that were attacking Ada. Uh, she gets out of the car, and the men tell her that the guy's like, it's all right, Miss Shelby, we work with Tommy. And then Ada kicks him in the groin and screams, my name is not Shelby, as <laughs> red right hand kicks in, Peaky Blinders. My name is Robert Paulson. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ada's such a bitch. Yeah. But I just, I just love, like, only Ada could... You know, narrowly escape getting raped and still have enough anger at her family left over (laughs) to kick this dude in the balls. Yeah. So what I, is what is this relationship with a guy? Like, I, I, okay, I know you're, so, I know you're listening no, to that's all fine. this, and I'm like the you worst know, we person. May they have, might not. Yeah, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know who finds this podcast or yeah. why. So Ada is the 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 sister. Okay. The young. She's um the fourth of the five Shelby okay. kids, and she has sort of been raised as this like princess, and she's very removed from the actual business of running their gang. Okay. Um, which and we've and discussed she, it's sort of a it's a symbiotic thing because like they've allowed her to do that. And she sort of gets all the benefits of being a member of the family without doing any work. Okay. But she just like, she like married this socialist last season who since passed away. Yeah. So, so for the last two years on the show, she had been married and her husband just died at the beginning of the first episode of the season. But she's been super angry at her family for years and she just like wants them to like leave her alone basically, Uh even though that would mean that she can't have her cushy lifestyle. Like even the apartment that she was staying in previous to this was still in a basement she's basically lived in basements okay. the entire time but it's just you know it's like you know it's like the rich kids who panhandle on the hate okay you're like yeah. okay like we get it but yeah. you're probably going back to an apartment that's really nice yeah um so but she's just she's really angry at them for reasons that are very ill-defined like yeah. she's just got a lot of anger okay. she does so then we go to killian in a hospital bed uh still hot <laughs> A nurse asks if he's ready for a visitor. Killian just says, no. Which I appreciate it. I am also never ready for a visitor. No, you're not. <laughs> Even when it's me. Like, get away. Uh, but we hear the snickety snack of Sam Neill's jaunty wolfhead cane. And he says he's there on the Kang's business and he oh, must insist. The Sam Neill accent in this thing. What is, is he amazing. even doing? It is know. just, this was like the entire, we had, you know, Lee Keeler uh-huh. when Lee was on, uh, in the previous season, it was just like the three of us doing competing, <laughs> yeah. competing all different, all still horrible impressions yeah. of this accent. Uh. And when he says that he like, worked with like Liam Neeson on it and I'm like did you no did you just be like Liam this is good right like yeah and Liam was like I'm very busy uh, having something taken from me (laughs) I have a certain set of skills in teaching you voices quit calling me Have you considered a dialect coach at any point? You know, you are really more Natasha's friend than 
sorry. Rest in power, Natasha Richardson. <laughs> God, I'm still not over that. Sorry, baby. Don't go skiing, rich people. I don't know why you keep thinking it's a good idea. Apparently, neither is Liam, since every movie he's made since then is punching the world. Yeah. I don't know, though. He seems like he's in relatively good spirits. Like, when he did finally guest on Key and Peele, he seemed like he had a... Mm-hmm. Good yeah. sense of humor, well, but I think I think he did all these punching the world movies. I think at least to some extent out of that emotion, sure. and now he's like this turns out to have been a great career move yeah, more yeah. for this me. This is so. so much more lucrative than now. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much less embarrassing than the Star Wars thing I did. A tag, a tag, kidnap me. Yeah, boy, I tell you, the Star Wars prequels really could have like reversed that whole trend if other things hadn't come along. Everybody been like, oh shit, <laughs> yeah. Point. I don't want to. I don't want to Liam Neeson myself. Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, uh, blah, 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 Sam Neill. Okay, so he's being all chummy and being like, oh, you paid for a window so you can have daylight. And I'm like, oh, my God, get to the point, Sam Neill. Like, everybody knows you're not friends. Yeah. Uh, Killian didn't come here to make friends. <laughs> Killian asks for his cigarettes, and Sam Neill gives them to him. But then he starts blabbering about how a Mr. Duggan got killed. Uh, so Killian was approached by the IRA okay. to kill some guy Yeah. Uh, that the IRA didn't like. Yeah, we had never heard of him or seen him before until shortly before Killian killed him. Yeah. So, um, so Killian kind of weakly gets out a cigarette uh, and then starts talking about Grace. So Grace was a spy, okay. a very bad spy, yeah. and also a very bad singer who was working, quote-unquote, undercover at Killian's pub uh, in the first season. Okay. And she's the one who shot Sam Neill in the leg and lamed him. Okay. Um, but Sam Neill was in love with her in a very baffling way and wanted her to marry him, but she had fallen in love with Killian Murphy because look at him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they were involved in this really and weird. He do an actual Irish accent. So. Yes. Uh, he's <laughs> actually Irish. Yeah. Um, Unlike so, other Robin Hoods. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike other Peaky Blinders. <laughs> um, so anyway, so Killian is trying to kind of, you know, stick his metaphorical finger in Sam Neill's bullet wound nice. by saying that Grace moved to America. She's living a place called Poughkeepsie, <laughs> which I'm like, that's a bizarre choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I don't know. You know, there are people who move to America from other countries and wind up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I'm like, how yeah. did you even find out about this place? <laughs> when you got there, why didn't you? Right. Leave? Why did you stay? There's other places. Um, Maybe the McGoverns or, or her family, the uh, McGee's original family. Oh yeah, so that's true. That's uh, possible. Yeah. That's possible. Mac L. Uh, anyway, so Sam Neill knows all about this. He says her husband's a banker and he's rich. I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. He says that he thinks she's very happy. And Does then the banker forced people to listen to Grace sing. <laughs> Probably. Probably. What's yeah. the point of being rich if you can't make people it's listen like, to your wife sing? It's, it's like the entire like Citizen Kane. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the banker's just clapping. <laughs> So Sam Neill informs Killian he's been under surveillance for weeks, which is why he was on hand to save his life when uh, <laughs> Sabini and his men were beating the crap out of him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Killian asks, he just ignores all of that and asks if being shot like a woman hurts the same as being <laughs> shot like a man, shot by a man, or uh, if it's just more shameful. <laughs> so then he just did they d- give him an award? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and he wants to know, did he get a medal? Because yeah, I he, got a medal when I got oh, shot. Such a sad. Uh, and probably Sam Neill didn't get one. Although, like, Sam Neill was supposed to get a medal for... Uh, finding those guns. Yeah, for finding all those guns. So I don't yeah. know if he did or not. They were like, instead of a medal, you're getting this wolf head cane. So get out of here. Um, so Sam Neill says that their reunion is part of a carefully worked out plan. 
Killian still won't let the grace thing go. And he says, you probably think about her every time that you <laughs> lean on your stick. But Samuel is not taking the bait on this. Samuel has moved on from grace, at least in the sense of letting Killian kind of bait him with it. Yeah. He tells Killian that he can charge him with murder anytime and produce two impeccable crown witnesses <laughs> that will lead him straight to the gallows. And he says this while pressing directly on Killian's injured <laughs> yeah. chest, which, ouch. Yeah. Right. Because he, I forgot too, I was like, oh, does he have like a bullet wound there? But he doesn't. That's just the product of getting beaten the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he tells Killian to get well quickly and he'll be in touch as soon as he can hear, as he hears Killian can piss standing up. Like, is pissing standing up part of this carefully worked out plan? I mean, I think it just indicates that he can move. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not privy to the details of the plan. Yeah, so this season I feel like moves a lot faster yeah, than I, season one. I think yeah. that's true. I mean, season one was so much, uh, just about Beeham. It's what we call Birmingham. Sure. Uh, it's all about Beeham and like who controls that and the whole thing with uh, Billy Kimber. Right. But now this is just a lot bigger because they're trying to move into London. Yeah. Uh, so then we go to Charlie's and they hear somebody, it's Charlie and Curly hanging out as always, and they hear somebody coming in. And so Charlie chides Curly for leaving the gate open, but Curly insists that he did lock it and he knows because he pinched himself when he did it to make sure he remembered. Yeah, so Charlie is Killian's like random uncle. Okay. Who, he's sort of like the, um, like the quartermaster for all of their contraband basically. Yeah, he okay. keeps and track then of where Curly, it is. Curly, I don't know, I don't think Curly is related to them, but he is, you know, sort of the, like a, uh, like a valued employee kind of thing. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, he's, he's like simple or whatever, like but he's, and very good with horses. He's like the yeah. Of this group. He is the hoder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He really yeah. is. I mean, he can say full words. He can say full words. I mean, he's got his shit together. Yeah. You know, he's and a very, very solid employee. He's super resourceful in just this one scene we have of him. I know. Yeah. He's really, yeah. you know, he's got a lot of skills. He seems like, actually, he seems more useful than Charlie has in the scene. Charlie keeps trying to like nay That's well, well, Charlie's, like, Charlie's also like their devil's advocate, although it yeah. doesn't ever seem to like work. Yeah, yeah, he just complains about everything all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like having just turned on this show, I feel like it's a pretty reasonable point that Killian's making. Like, hey, this mobster that wants to kill me is knows exactly where I'm at and can pay somebody off to kill me. I should be out of here. Well, maybe you should feel better first. The whole point of what I just told you yeah. is that <laughs> yeah. it's not going to work. Yeah. The, the, the bad guy from Johnny Dangerously is going to come after me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, that's uh, the point of this podcast. That's right. And so, yeah, it's Killian that is there. It's not an intruder. Uh, and he tells Curly to get the stuff that they rub into horses' legs when they go lame, which, uh, yeah, Curly's, like, super excited about. Charlie is, I suppose, somewhat understandably skeptical uh, about using this horse medicine, but uh, <laughs> Killian says that he is a horse, so all right. I always like when he gets super, like, morose about himself, which he does frequently. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm a terrible person. And I'm like, yes, you are. I like to think that Killian Murphy does that in real life, too. He just seems like somebody who would, like, occasionally get very wistful about it. He is a really interesting person, actually. Because yeah. um, I think he lives in London with his wife and his kids. And, like, he is just so not into the whole, like, celebrity thing. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, he easily could be. I mean, he wouldn't be, like, a top-tier celebrity, but, yeah, he, but he's he, like, you know, I was reading an interview with him. He's like, yeah, he's like, I just take the bus and the tube and he's not on Twitter or anything. Like, he just yeah. wants to live his life. I feel yeah. like that's, a, like, going back to the whole, like, 
switching between TV and shows things too. I think in movies, I think it's a very British. I, I, I remember like Emma Thompson was on uh, the Graham Norton show and she's talking about how right. like when she goes to LA, it is like parties you go to that then have like VIP rooms for well, the parties. Well, and there's and also like, I don't do any of that stuff. Like, there's also my, like there's such a strict hierarchy, and you see it when you go to like comedy festivals where they have a party. It's like mm-hmm. the TV people can only talk to TV people, and the movie yeah. people can only talk to movie people. Yeah, and then the rest of us sad bastards just watch them like a tennis match. Yeah, yeah. Well, you I know? think I just think that acting is a career in a way in Britain. There's just sort of being a professional actor is sort of a thing in a way that where in, in America is kind of inseparable from being a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in Britain it's like it's like just having a it's like a job you got yeah. into. It's like being yeah. like a working class person but yeah. an actor is like your thing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, so Charlie says that uh, if Killian was a horse, they would shoot him with that many broken bones, uh, which is a helpful comment, Charlie. Thanks a lot. I think Charlie needs to be on antidepressants, you guys. <laughs> uh, Killian then tells uh, Charlie to get the black powder and that he needs to feel a boat under him and the air on his face. So I guess this is gypsy heritage coming through. And in fact, Charlie says that Killian is just like his mother. People love to tell Killian he's just like his mother. And we're like, we don't know what that means, Steve Knight. Like, we have no context for, yeah. like, apart from being called a diddy coy whore, we don't know anything about his mom. Which, as far as it goes, is fine. Yeah. But... She may well have been a diddy coy whore. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, the only boat available is a heavy boat, the January, and it'll take a few days to get there, which Killian is fine with, as he needs those days to heal. And he says that if he, if Charlie can spare Curly, that Curly will be his doctor on the trip. Uh, Carl, Curly is super excited about it. He says they'll have whiskey and tea, and he'll have Killian running around like a colt. It's like if a vet got promoted to being a people doctor, just like very, <laughs> like just like well, it's like an apocalyptic situation. It's like, yeah. is there a doctor here? I was a vet. Well, now you're a doctor. Congrats. <laughs> so Killian heaves off and says that they are headed to Camden Town and to tell Polly that she is in charge while he's gone. And if he doesn't come back, she's in charge for good, which, uh, you know, spoiler alert, Killian doesn't die in this season. But I am kind of interested in how the dynamics would play out if Polly was in charge. I agree. And, like, well, if Steve Knight got his wish, and we were reading about this recently, Steve Knight, uh, who is the the writer. Uh, yeah. Um. He wants to keep the series, like, if he had his druthers, he would take the series all the way up till bombs start falling in World War II. Oh, wow. Which would be an insanely long series <laughs> if they kept up this pace. But, I mean, it would be, it would be really interesting to see where they're at, you know, 24 years later. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Downton almost wishes they could do that because it's passed so much time since Well, the show you know, started. Julian Fellows can't bear to let go of anything, yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, well, he also, these, been mixed signals from him to what extent he's just being pressured to keep it on because it's still I mean you it's know, such a huge ratings everybody. bonanza yeah, yeah anyway PJ Harvey kicks in again the song When Under Ether," which I really like I'm generally not a big fan of PJ Harvey but I loved this song it yeah. really well of what's happening yeah. in the scene yeah. I will say and I think that they do a really nice job of things not being too on the nose but mm-hmm. fitting very well into the aesthetic of the show yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's a bit of a montage of... Which I'm always really appreciative of as the person who writes these recaps. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I get a break. Yeah. Of uh, the the boat trip, basically, and Killian sort of shivering weakly in the hold and Curly steering. Uh, finally, Tommy crawls out of the hold and Curly asks if he's hungry. Tommy says that he is. Wow, why did I suddenly start calling him Tommy? I don't know. Every once in a while, I'll start calling him by his character name. Uh, Curly says that they're at Heathrow, where the airport is. 
<laughs> and it's just one more day until they'll be in Camden Town. <laughs> Curly says he'll put something in the pan if Killian can steer. And uh, Curly says, you're almost there too, Tommy. And I love Curly so much. Like, yeah. Curly is such a sweet guy, and he's so optimistic in a show full of people who are dicks to each other. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he really is the honor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you're yeah. just like, you're a good person. Please be okay. <laughs> Don't let that bratty kid take over your brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You mean that bratty 40-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You go ahead, Hodor. I'm getting a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Poor Rickon. <laughs> Who? What? I was, I, I, no, I know. I was so gonna. Long. I was yeah. gonna go along with it. Oh. It was a. It was a improv oh, thing. I was way, saying yes, way, and the way you said what was like you were mad at me for not knowing who Rickon was. Like, no, what? I would never be mad at anybody for not knowing who Rickon was yeah. because what the fuck, Rickon? Yeah. yeah. I've just never. I've just always been so angry at him for never taking Shaggy Dog in hand. I'm like, <laughs> you need to get your shit together. <laughs> you were such a disappointment to your father. <laughs> So, I know he's dead, but still, it's your fault. He's he dead. might be floating around somewhere. God knows he had all those dreams about his dead sister all the time. He's yeah. really mad at you in Westeros heaven or whatever. <laughs> they do have heaven. Don't they call it something, though? Yeah. I, well, I think the... the oh, no, because there's seven hells, so there's seven heavens yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah, well, except he wasn't. He didn't believe in those. He believed in the old guy. Oh, shit. Well, then he's just a tree now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess like he would be. Son. Yeah. yeah. Oh, All right. sorry. Books. Sorry. <laughs> Look, you know what? Honestly, that shit's been out for 15 years. Yeah. yeah. That's my feeling about it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, back in the show, a steam whistle blows and we get poof, Camden Town. Hey, that's where Amy Winehouse died. That's right. Uh, very sad. Also, we really liked the documentary, Amy. Have you seen it? I have not yet. I need to. Really good, yeah. but it is sad. And a friend of mine at work, I was saying, oh, I'm going to go see it. She's like, oh, it's really good, but it's really sad. And I was like, oh, I'll be fine. That's why I drink. And then like increasingly <laughs> as I'm watching the movie, I was like, that was a really inappropriate thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I forgot that drinking killed her. Yeah, it, uh, it sure did. The heroin helped. Um, no, she wasn't doing heroin anymore oh, really? when she died. Yeah, I mean, well, it, I apologize it all. For my accusation. Well, it all. Yeah, it none all of con- it helped. Yeah, yeah, it all contributed to her like you know fatally weakened state. But Fair. it was well, and the thing that the movie really impressed upon the audience, I thought, is that it was also her bulimia, which mm-hmm. you didn't hear about at all in the media. Yeah. and it was really that more than anything else. Like, because you yeah. know there are people who can just do all those. You know, like the Rolling Stones are mostly still alive. Yeah. Right. But you know they the one, weren't the one bulimic. Who's dead is not really dead from those things. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's just like wow. Uh, okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we see uh, the back of a big old dude walking through a warehouse. Uh, there's the shit blowing up, and we're like, okay, this must be the back of somebody important. Yes. He tells a guy named Ollie's. He says, "Put him down. He's only little." Uh, and this is Alfie Solomon's, aka Tom Hardy. All right. Yes. We're very excited. He is great. He sees Killian, he tells Killian that he is brave to come alone to see his bakery, and he gives this whole spiel about... We bake the white bread, <laughs> yeah. we bake the brown bread, all sorts. Like, anybody 
who was mad about Bane's voice? I was like, that's just how Tom Hardy talks. <laughs> I love Bane's voice. I my my favorite thing that he says in the entire movie is when he's about to blow up the stadium uh-huh. and that kid's singing the national anthem and he's just in the back, like in the in the, like the little like hallway and he says, "What's a very lovely voice." <laughs> I can't deal with Bane anymore though because I was putting up flyers a long time ago for a show that I used to do with uh, two comedians locally Natasha Muse and there's this yep. other guy named Ryan Cronin and they invented this character named Chicken Bane <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like someone must stay behind for the dipping sauces brother there's somebody who does uh, there's a video online of uh, of like Bane the cat and it's like somebody has yeah, a cat yeah. that has a Bane voice and it's the cat's like like and it's all, all sorts of like like you think this gives you power? <laughs> and my I remember Bane cat. Yeah, and my neighbors had a cat named Bane. They moved away, but and he was awesome. Yeah, but I would always every time I'd see him, I'd be like, you think this gives you power? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Uh, and I mean this was like I was driving and yeah. just they kept fucking riffing on it like they had a whole like you know you can get a bucket full eight ninety nine, and like I just like I just was going he's a spokesman was, for the chicken companies he's like he was like the Colonel Sanders like of this like terrorist chicken store I thought, I thought he was. I thought you were. Set, I thought the joke was that he was a chicken, and he was like telling the other chickens, like, "You have to stay." No, behind he is a song. chicken. He's a chicken that's the mascot for the chicken oh, chain. Okay. I don't look. It's the I didn't look, like it's the a music. very involved mythology yeah, behind really, Chicken Bane. Can you guys do a whole podcast about that? Yeah, there's there's a <laughs> like wiki. A fan, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We could. Ryan lives in Oakland. We could just <laughs> have him come over and do an interview as Chicken Bane. I'd be happy. To I'm see. sure he would be into yeah, it. I know he would. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, so Alfie describes the b- white bread and the brown bread and asks if Killian would like to try some of his bread and gestures to a table of bottles of booze. Killian says, all right. He chooses the brown, uh, and it's all uh, rum, in fact. Uh, he says that it's not bad, and Solomon says, not bad. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> he says, that's for the workers. The white stuff is for the bosses. Uh, now, as someone who doesn't know anything about history, was there a prohibition happening at this time, too? Or is it just like... I think it's more, it's just about it uh, licensing and fee, like okay. Uh, taxes. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I, as someone who watched all of Boardwalk Empire and loved it, I was like, is this happening in Ireland, too? Yeah, I don't... I, I don't remember it may, them It's probably a yeah. defense of the Realm Act thing. Yeah. I remember, That's what I blame everything oh, on sure. in England. I remember Nucky Thompson going over to Ireland to get whiskey sent over back to the Americas. Yeah. yeah, I don't think anywhere well, that makes in sense Europe because I mean, like, because of the way that like whiskey and scotch are made, like you kind of yeah, have yeah. to like go to the source there. Yeah, yeah. You know all about scotch, don't you, Scotchy? Uh, yes, I do. It's very tasty. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> It's the rubbing alcohol of booze. I am an Irish whiskey girl myself. So. That is totally a legitimate thing to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we can talk shit about Tom and his scotch habit later. <laughs> so in Solomon's office, he tells Killian he said very, very bad, bad, bad things <laughs> about you Birmingham people. <laughs> and I love Tom Hardy in I this role too. so much. Like I, this, yeah. was great. This scene, I have yeah. never really liked him as a film actor that much. <laughs> like I feel like when he doesn't have a crazy beard, 
he's not that interesting to me. <laughs> like, he's attractive, but yeah. not in an interesting way. Well, the best part about him in Mad Max is he doesn't have any, any lines. He just has <laughs> Look, and let me put it this way. Looks. I completely forgot that, like, my favorite movie of the summer <laughs> that I saw twice in theaters yeah. stars him, ostensibly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, he's great. That stars Charlie Theron. What are you talking I about? I know. We know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Nick Holt uh, has more lines in that movie than Mad Max does. I love Nick Holt so much. <laughs> yeah. What if Nicholas Holt was in season three of Peaky Blinders? Oh <laughs> wow. That would be... I might die of sexual tension. I was going to say, you might I would spontaneously out. combust. I would personally carry the show through the gates of Ahala. Yeah. No, because and that was the thing that really got me excited about Mad Max. Tom, I think, had already kind of heard about it, was stoked, and I saw the preview. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I... I'm like such like a Nicholas whore. Yeah. I don't know. It's like I call Tom a Benicio Del Horo because he loves anything Benicio Del Toro's sure. in. Yeah. But like I saw Nicholas Holt, and I was like, we're seeing that opening day. <laughs> I was like, I know. Um... So he says he's heard the bad things about them being gypsies and he wants to know if they live in a tent or a caravan, which is a microaggression. Mm-hmm. That's very rude. Yeah. But I guess that they did well, not maybe, have. Maybe he's seen Snatch and he knows what happens with pikers. That's so. entirely possible. <laughs> Nobody even says pikey anymore, though, on this show. Yeah, that's true. They said pikey a lot <laughs> in the first series. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I guess they've killed enough people now that they're like, well, we won't say pikey, but we'll say some other shit. We won't say the P word, but yeah. we'll, we'll, say, we'll say the G word, which is not really better. You know, don't say the P word. Just say, you know. But <laughs> Now, our pikers, those are what, when they came to America, are what we call Irish travelers here, yes, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. As featured in the, uh, the wildly uneven oh, Eddie Izzard God. vehicle, The Riches. I couldn't watch the second season. The first season was we like so... We also did not watch the second season. Yeah. The first episode, that sequence where they go into that family or that great. high school reunion. Yeah. And then when at the end of the scene, when the second daughter pulls off her wig and, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. a boy. That's great. Yeah. That was so great. And if the whole series had been about that or mm-hmm. had been about them being travelers. Yeah. Because yeah. we were like, we don't give a shit about these suburban people. Oh, yeah. The only yeah. really good thing that came of that was uh, all the, the three child actors were amazing. Yeah, yeah. And then Margot Martindale. That was our first <laughs> experience with her. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, we're going to get through this scene, I swear to God. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're stopping so much that I may have to leave before we're yeah. We're going to figure this out. Okay. Uh, so Killian says fault. he's there to talk business, and uh, Solomon says that rum is for fun and fucking. This message brought to you by the Rum Council. <laughs> Which I would like that on a bumper sticker, but whiskey is for business, and as we all know, tequila is for a nervous breakdown. <laughs> uh, Killian wants to talk before they drink, and Tom Hardy seems like he is not at all slumming here. Uh <laughs> Solomon says that he heard Killian had his life saved by a policeman, but Killian bluffs that he has policemen on his payroll, not wanting to tip this guy that he's got some crown agent breathing down his neck. Yeah, he 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 doesn't specify that he was saved by policemen on his payroll, just that by coincidence he has some. Uh, but Solomon says he does not think policemen can be trusted, but Killian says that Sabini is using policemen, and that is why Sabini is l- winning the war and uh, Solomon's is losing it. Solomon's quotes Lenny Kravitz and says, a war ain't over till it's over. <laughs> But then Solomon's confirms that Killian was also in the war, uh, which is a big status thing within the world of the show. And sure. he says he carried out his own version of stigmata on an Italian. He shoved a six-inch nail up his nose and then hammered it home with a duck board, which is a very loose interpretation of the stigmata. <laughs> yeah. Also, the Italians were allies of the English. So yeah. That- <laughs> well, he seems like he plays by his own rules. None. Yeah. Um, 
Be that as it may, Solomons tells Killian that he better not come in and say that he's losing the war to a fucking WAP. So he's comfortable with other slurs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, even if it's true, he doesn't want to hear that. Yeah. Killian says that Solomon's needs to be more realistic, and Killian says that if he wasn't losing the war, he wouldn't have even telegraphed Killian. Solomon gets super aggro, uh, <laughs> which is not a great way to bluff, but that's what he's trying to do. Yeah. He's saying, um, his telegram was just saying hello because he knows Killian wants to sell him something. Killian then suggests that they join forces, and Solomon's literally says to fuck off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Immediately. <laughs> so great. But Killian yeah. goes in for the hard sell, saying that uh, Solomon's distillery is only 10% of his income and that he's losing that because his protection is another 10%. And he knows that uh, Solomon's keeps a gun in the drawer next to his whiskey because Solomon's kind of leans back and he's like and rummaging around. Yeah. Kind of theatrically. I'm like, yeah, of course he's going for yeah. a gun. Um, but he points out that Killian is the guy who shot Billy Kimber. This was a rival bookmaker. Okay. And the reason that this gang is doing so well is because they shot this guy. Got, yeah. After, after having previously joined forces with Billy Kimber, he ended up shooting him. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That was fairly like one of the things where like, uh, even though I don't follow the show, I'm like, okay, I kind of get what they're talking about. I assume it was like sort of, some sort of betrayal yeah. happened. Yeah. And Killian's like, you know, to be fair, did you see Billy Kim- Kimber's dumb, weaselly face? Yeah. Like he would have shot him too. Yeah. Come on. Anyway, Sabi- uh, Killian points out that he knows that he keeps the gun. He knows also that Sabini is running Solomon's men off the tracks and nobody trusts his protection anymore, which was also the same problem Billy Kimber was having, mm-hmm. except that it was gypsies who were running his men off of the racetracks. <laughs> yeah. um, but nobody trusts the protection of the Solomon's gang anymore. Uh, Solomon's points out that Killian did shoot Billy Kimber, and so it would be super appropriate for him to do to Killian what he's thinking right then, which I guess is shooting him. One would think. He's being extremely coy. Yeah. But, you know, that's the Tom Hardy promise. Um, Killian promises that he can provide a hundred men with weapons and a new relationship with the police. Which I'm not sure how the new relationship with the police will be managed, but I'm sure Killian has a plan. Well, you know, he knows a lot of police. Yeah. Then Solomon snarks a bit about, uh, how intelligent Killian is or thinks he is. Then he does pull the gun and, uh, complains that if he shoots Killian, he'll have to get rid of this cabinet behind him. Well, I love because he says, what, what if I shoot you? And the bullet goes, bone, mush, bone, that cabinet over there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which I was like, oh my God, I love that. It's line. so great. Well, and this is actually really clever because he uh, says he'll have to cut the cabinet in half, which is a really clever nod to his name being Solomon's, I think. (laughs) Bible nerd. Um, Anyway, he says he'll have to cut it in half and then ship one half off to Mandalay and the other half off to like Timbuktu. And Killian's nose starts to bleed, whether that's part of him being nervous or just the fact that his entire nose has been smashed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Solomon's... His whole body is made of blood that's yeah. been smashed around. <laughs> yeah. Solomon throws him this hanky and asks if he would like to go to Timbuktu. Killian says, no, he would not like to. <laughs> then Solomon's kind of chills the fuck out again and leans back and says he always thought Killian would have a joy of fucking go ring in his nose. <laughs> and then asks to hear his plan. Yeah. yeah. Now, such a well-performed scene, and especially, like, Killian starts to look kind of afraid toward the end of that, when uh-huh. Alfie actually pulls out the gun. And I even kind of wonder, like, to what extent is Killian calculatedly being like, I should show some fear so that Alfie but feels better. But at the better. same time, but, I mean, he did tell Charlie what the contingency plan would be. Oh, yeah. yeah. If he didn't make it back, so... I think he has this kind of mentality as that... If he doesn't make this deal, he's going to be killed at some point soon anyway. Yeah, that's yeah. true. There's that point where he's talking to, to to Hardy where he's just like – he basically says like I, I know – I came in here knowing your, the way you do business and you probably would shoot me. Yeah. But I'm going to make this 
offered to you anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's like a nice, yeah, like, yeah. like showing a little bit of fear, but it also like makes, like ingratiates him a little bit to Tom Hardy. Like, I know that if you don't agree with me, you're going to let me die right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's how much I think this is a good idea for us to work together. Yeah. yeah. No, and I mean, and just it, watching them work together is amazing. Yeah. Like, such yeah. A good scene. I think everybody in the show is a little overmatched by Killian Murphy to an extent. And I feel like he and Tom Hardy kind of punch at the same weight. Yeah. Yeah. So we see Ada walking across the street past some old-timey cars, uh, and Killian is waiting for her, and she wants to know how he found her, because he's a professional, he leads a gang of criminals, he can find people. Like, get used to it. How did those rapists find you? <laughs> Ada's like willfully ignorant of how everything works. Yeah. Uh, but in this case, it's actually Polly just showed Killian a letter that Ada had written. And Killian says that he knows that Ada thinks that she is safe because she moved out of her flat, but she is not safe. She says she wants them all out of her life, uh, but Killian says that she is going to be attacked again. Ada says, yes, but this time she'll be ready because now she has a gun to shoot their balls off. And she starts to, like, get it out of her purse, and Killian is she's like, the, Jesus Christ. She's, like, the best argument against, like, the gun debate. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, no, don't let this one have a gun. <laughs> yeah. So okay, here's where I'm confused by this. So are they back in like are they are they still in Camden Town now or are they somewhere else? They're like, in London somewhere. Okay, so yeah. he's left Camden Town going back to London at this point. Camden so they Ta- they live in Birmingham. Okay. So in the very beginning when he went to go see Curly and Charlie, that was Birmingham. Okay. Then Camden Town is part of London and now she's in a different part of London. Okay. Yeah. I was really confused by that, like with the whole like he's leaving Birmingham and he's like, Well tell mm-hmm. Polly if I don't come back that she's in charge and I'm like, So did he I I I I wasn't sure what he meant, like coming back from where? Like yeah. just the meeting or Camden Town or what's happening? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I'm a little bit more London in general. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, Ada says that she's late for work, but Killian presses an envelope into her hands. I uh, says that she is living right on the edge of Sabini's territory, and all the cops there work for him. And he says that he has a lot of cash coming in, and that his accountant advises, and I'd like to meet that accountant sometime, mm-hmm. uh, that he, the best way to launder it is to buy property for cash and put it in the name of a family member. Uh, Ada looks at the. Um, so anyone related to us, if you want to do that, yeah. we are down. <laughs> we are. You can. <laughs> it'll take a lot of cash around here. Yeah, so. but presumably, uh, it's peanuts to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to the professional racketeer. <laughs> uh, Ada says a whole house, and Killian says yes. It is four stories, eight bedrooms. Wow. Yeah, with all the trimmings and rooms for a maid, if her conscience will allow. Uh, she'd better have a maid if it's four stories. That's a really good point. Is it furnished? That's my other question. (laughs) I think Anna Bates is looking for a new bit of employment. (laughs) I wish. Yeah, where's that sitcom? (laughs) Anna Bates sets Ada straight. (laughs) Uh, so Ada is, in fact, yes, her socialist leanings are not preventing her from being excited to own this house. Killian tells her to at least take a walk, to at least take a look. And uh, Ada walks away, and Killian knows that he has got her. Ada, ha- she's so impressionable. Like, she, she is. She has no convictions. I, I, it would be hard for me to have convictions about not having a four-story eight-room right? house. Like, I and like, she has a baby. Like, like, I might become a fascist if you offered it on a <laughs> house without making me pay for That's it. how they got Wallace Simpson. <laughs> Uh, a clock ticks as Sabini uh, is reading the paper and scoffing, shoot the fucking lot of them. It's about like strikes yeah. and, you know, various uh, mm-hmm. socialist leanings. There's also discontent in Palestine, if you thought that was a new development. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. A guy comes to the door and tells Sabini the police are there. And Sabini says to tell them to wipe their feet. Uh, and he noticeably doesn't, by the way, yeah. this policeman. 
So Sabini wonders why he has to tell the cop everything. The cop says that they can't search every train and Sabini impatiently explains that the Shelbys don't use trains because all the boatmen are gypsies and the Shelbys are gypsies. Luckily, Sabini has a boy in Solomon's rum house so he knows Killian went to meet Solomon's and they made peace because Solomon's gave him some salt. So that's, you know, the old give you bread and salt thing. I guess the rum counted as the bread part. I guess so. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so gave him rum and salt and then the cop wants to know what he's supposed to do. Then Sabini starts theatrically sniffing around and wonders if this cop has tracked in dog shit. And his lieutenant, whose name we don't know, we have no idea who this guy is, he wonders if the cop even has a photo of uh, Killian. And he says he has his war photos. But Sabini snarks to the lieutenant uh, in Italian about the way that soldiers stick together. So that Sabini then tells the cop that sometimes when he smells something, it's not real, uh, meaning the dog shit that this cop has dragged in is metaphorical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the cop says he'll that they'll do everything they can to deal with Killian, and then Sabini proceeds to lose his goddamn mind because he thinks that the cops have already done a deal with Killian, which they may have. Yeah. So he may not be too paranoid here. Nonetheless, he seems like a terrible boss. Yeah, I'm like, his temper is going to be what takes him down in the end. Like, yeah. you can't... Can't, you, know, you know, your employers are your most valuable asset, dude. Well, again, they beat the shit out of Killian. Why didn't you just shoot him? Well, no. I, I mean, that's my perpetual question. <laughs> when we were watching Harry Potter last night, I'm like, Voldemort, why didn't you just kill him as I, soon as you came back? Yeah, I, I've had... Well, there's a, there's a few reasons for that. I, can, I, I, like, <laughs> I don't know how much you want to go down the Harry Potter rabbit hole, <laughs> but up until the end of Goblet of Fire... There, I mean, yeah, he doesn't. He shouldn't monologize. He should just kill him. Yeah, like, yeah. As soon as he's back, but until then, he's not able to harm Harry because of the magic spell. Oh, right. When well, that makes died. sense, but it's like once you've used yeah. his blood, get Wormtail to kill him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're well, a very or, terrible evil overlord. Or if you haven't used his blood, just have Wormtail kill him the entire time he's at Hogwarts with <laughs> the rats. Like, yeah. How about when Harry's sleeping at the burrow and the rat is there, scabbers? Mm-hmm. How about you kill him then? Oh, because you have to do it yourself, you egotistical maniac. Yeah. Um, somebody pointed out there was a huge argument online about why he didn't, he didn't <laughs> no. shoot a gun. It was uh, like, why didn't he just take a gun out and shoot him? And then I had, it was a guy who responded with all the different spells they can use to stop a bullet. <laughs> Look, like, Harry had to use gillyweed and not the bubble charm in yeah. order to complete that underwater challenge. <laughs> I don't think he can cast a single effective spell. Yeah, yeah. Right. I said, although the one spell you could actually use against a gun is Accio Gun, which would be kind of great if someone pulls a gun on you and you just, ah, give me your gun. Now I have the gun. Yeah. We were <laughs> talking about when he, you know, does the dragon challenge and he does Accio Firebolt. Yeah. I was like, you know, if that was Dean Thomas and he said Accio Firebolt, somebody would shoot him and be like, where'd you get that Firebolt? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Black Wizards Matter. <laughs> Where do we label that? <laughs> At the end of the Savini thing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we see Polly lying in bed, counting the church bell as it tolls seven, and she says shit and starts to get up, because sadly, churches do not have snooze alarms. <laughs> uh, so she goes to put her shoes on. Which seems like it used to be a real pain in the ass. Like she's got yeah. a special like You tool. can't just slide on your flip-flops. Yeah. 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 I always think about it, like, a lot of that clothes of people who, like, when I watch Downton, for example, like... Like Anna doesn't have anybody who dresses her. Oh, like, she's we've got so we've much discussed that. Um, I can't remember. We were watching something relatively recently where I was like, "How the fuck do they get dressed?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, no, it wasn't that. I was going to say maybe it was another period, but it wasn't another <laughs> no. period. So. so Polly walks determinedly across the street and enters the bedding parlor to applause. She wonders what's going on, uh, and everyone keeps applauding. And Killian is there. 
She asks when he got back, and he says that he didn't want to miss her birthday. Uh, she says that nobody knows when her birthday is, but he says that this year is different and tells her to come along with the brothers and unwrap her birthday gift. So is she the oldest sibling in the family? No, or she's she... their aunt. Oh, their aunt. Okay. Yeah. She seems so she's, way older than that. That's why she's she their like father's that. sister, okay. and their father abandoned them when Finn, who's the youngest, was a baby. Okay. Yeah, and she also, during World War One, when they were all at the front, ran their criminal enterprise. Gotcha. Now, is Finn the Sierra Wiley character that I that comes up later in the storyline, or is he the... No, okay. he is there currently. The Zero Riley character is uh wait or do you mean the boxer? Yeah, which that, boxer? That is what, Arthur. We'll, we'll, I wait okay, we to, okay, got it. We'll yeah. figure it out. I wait yeah. till we get to that point. In the that story. was a really great deep cut, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's the first thing I thought of when I when I saw <laughs> now I'm thinking about Ryan O'Reilly, yeah, yeah. like back in the day. Damn. Okay. So anyway, we cut to a line of houses that I think have some kind of architectural name, like, but it's not row houses. Or, yeah, and it's not Muse either, I don't think. Yeah. But it's anyway, everybody gets out of the car and Arthur shouts good morning to a startled neighbor as they <laughs> enter a house. Uh, Paul says that she thought Killian was going to buy Ada a house and he replies that he had some cash left over. And Paul wonders if this is theirs and Killian tells her it's hers alone because she deserves it. And she is in shock, and she wonders what she'll do with all these rooms. And Killian tells her she can relax, come up on weekends, grow roses in the gardens, have a piano, God help the neighbors. Uh, Arthur helpfully says, fuck the neighbors. (laughs) She's never going to get on the board of the Homeowners Association with that attitude. That's true. (laughs) Paul sits down, still in shock, and Killian tells Arthur to take Finn and Mumper uh, to wait by the car. Uh, So he tells Polly he knows that she's been unhappy, and he knows why. Uh, he says, Esme has a good heart. So Esme, now on our shit list for not keeping Polly's secret. Right. So Killian says that Esme told him what would make her happy, and he's poked around and figured out how to find out where her children were taken when they were removed from her care mm-hmm. uh, and reunite them. And then Polly takes his hand, and she's just really overcome with emotion. And he reminds her that they're moving up in the world. Yep. To the east side. <laughs> <laughs> The east side is not good in London, I don't think. Um, well, they are gangsters, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. They don't want to get too fancy. Yeah, yeah, you make a good point. We see Ada walking slowly into her new house along with Comrade Baby. He loves it immediately. Oh, Comrade Baby, you are betraying your namesake. <laughs> uh, the baby's real name is Carl, after Karl Marx. I got you. Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty dope ho- house, and uh, Comrade Baby is adorable. Yeah, he's look, he's a baby. It's not his fault around. that his yeah. mom is a bitch. Yeah. Right. He, you know, does dress him better than George. Yeah. Or, uh, Actually, no. He shows up in a sailor suit at the end oh, of this. Of course he does. <laughs> that must be the only clothes they made for baby boys. I think it is. They were like, they were like, the Navy still needs people, and they're not allowed to kidnap them <laughs> we anymore. Just, we just had a bad war. We need to make sure we're all staffed up. <laughs> Well, um, I made him Australian, apparently, from yeah, New Zealand. It's all in the Commonwealth. That's right. Well, just the Navy, you know. There Good was eye, a, baby. There was a mix-up with the contractor, and they actually ordered, you know, thousands of baby <laughs> sailor suits and just distributed. <laughs> uh, we're back in Beeham. It's still on fire. Yeah. There's also somebody warming their hands in the street by a wholly separate fire. I'm like, <laughs> you could just hold your hands up in any direction, then they'd be near a fire. Uh, you know, they're busy. So Killian walks by awesomely to the kills pull a you until he gets to the office where Lizzie is still working rather late. She hands him a letter uh, postmarked from Poughkeepsie. From Grice. <laughs> they discuss some business and he says that they need to take out an advert in the Daily Mail about the garrison's grand reopening. And then she reminds him that the diary says that he's got a letter that needs to go out special delivery. He has not written it out yet. And she offers to take dictation. Ha <laughs> ha! But in a different way than before. <laughs> Lizzie was a prostitute who's now his secretary 
He starts oh, I out. I appreciate your double entendre. Uh-huh. See, thank you. You're welcome. He starts out, dear Mr. Churchill, and Lizzie just stops and her jaw drops. Uh, but then Killian's like, uh, remember how are you going to take dictation? <laughs> yeah. Like, close your mouth. Yeah. Uh, Killian is explaining uh, the way that no he is being blackmailed by Sam Neill to Mr. Churchill. <laughs> we then cut to Churchill reading aloud from the letter about Killian's military record. Uh, which Killian is mentioning to appeal to Churchill as a fellow soldier. Portrayal of Churchill I've ever seen in any. Well, in the first season, it was like a guy who didn't look anything like Churchill at all. Yeah, and we were like, why did they fucking hire this guy? Yeah, this guy is much better. Yeah, but Sam Neill looks very unsettled, and Churchill is not thrilled, and also possibly channeling Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> in this scene. That's true. That's his other one-person show that this actor does. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock, the other guy I look at sound like. So Churchill totally shames Sam Neill by asking, who else in the room fought in the war? Uh, Sam Neill being the only person who did not. Yeah. But again, I, I, this is annoying because he definitely was like on intelligence during the war. And like, I know it's not the same as being at the front lines, but not all of us are soldiers, guys. Yeah. But, you know, it's just, you know, he doesn't have the bond or whatever. And the what, other, is, what is Churchill's like position right now in the British government? He He's is, the home secretary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like secretary of state. Gotcha. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, it also covers law enforcement. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, too, is he mentions uh, Thomas Shelby as having been at the Battle of Mon, which was M-O-N in the subtitles. I assume it's the town M-O-N-S, which was actually the very first battle that the British fought in in World War One, which would imply that he was essentially in every battle of the whole war, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. That was the big one where, like, it was kind of like a turning point, wasn't it? Because like the Germans were hitting so hard, so fast, and then like, yeah, well, that the was were getting their butts kicked. And then, yeah, and that was yeah. the British like, okay, we're going to stop everything, and then it was like, oh my god, we're not stopping anything yeah, at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> What's up with oh, these dear. trenches? Empty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my legs are getting dirty. <laughs> <laughs> so Churchill comments with respect that Thomas Shelby was a tunneler, and that his demand that he's making is very amusing. All he wants is an empire export license uh, to ship manufactured goods to Malaysia, India, Russia, and Canada. And he just wants to transport the goods to the Poplar Docks and ship them off from there. Uh, call the midwife crossover. Yeah. Churchill says that they will meet his demands since they are so amusing. And Samuel tries to undermine Killing by being like, he's a murderer and a blackguard. And, and a mongrel. And a mongrel. That's a blow blow. Yeah. Uh, but Churchill is not having his soldier shaming. He says that they will offer a temporary export license until Killian has carried out the assassination they want him to do. It's a pretty dick move of Churchill to read his blackmail letter right in front of the guy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah it's like, I don't know. I kind of like it. Oh, yeah. oh, I like it, but it's shooting, a dick move. Shooting from the hip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, they, they have throughout the relationship have never quite liked each other yeah well nobody likes sam neil he's deliberately unlikable yeah, yeah. they also chose revolution and they're like i don't like what he's doing in this <laughs> <laughs> we see killian pulling up to a pretty nice suburban house uh, borderline rural uh walks back to their garden where we see two boys who've been playing soccer a woman tells him to go in as Killian approaches and calls her Mrs. Johnson. He says that he's from the Birmingham Council, and he asks her what uh, Henry knows about his real identity, but the woman figures out that something suspicious is going on. Uh, she says that what Henry knows is that his mother was a drinker and an opium fiend and abused him. Killian says that is not true. He was taken from his mother without her permission and that Henry is really Michael Gray and that his mother wants to see him. This is the first time we find out what Paul's surname is. Yes. Um, And as he's saying this, 
Henry slash Michael walks out of the house up to them, uh, and Killian tries to give him a card with an address on it, but Mrs. Johnson starts hitting him and begs Henry to go back inside. Well, thank God he was taken away from that abuser. Yeah, <laughs> right? And we can't tell, like, whether or not the kid got the card. It's yeah. very yeah. unclear. Yeah. So. Although, what, what ends up happening later, I Yeah, so I guess he must have figured something yeah. out. Yeah. And as soon as this scene happened, I go, oh, I know what's going to happen with this kid yeah. later. In this, I knew it was going to be even in this episode. I'm like, yeah. we're going to, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. So uh, we see Finn fighting Isaiah, who is the son of Jeremiah, the oh. itinerant street preacher. Okay, I didn't um, which I think that. we find out later on. But okay. I'm telling you now because I've <laughs> I've seen the future. <laughs> and Arthur is once again uh, murdering a person. Yeah, yeah. And the men at the at the gym try to hold him back, and he's being all crazy again. And I'm like, uh, maybe Killian should not have taken away his bromide and opium. Like yeah. it seemed like that probably kept him from murdering. And people. Maybe don't let him bare knuckle box people. Yeah. That Sure, or if you're going to have somebody standing right there well, the whole time. Well, but I mean, look. Or maybe I mean, not, maybe not find a, uh, what seems to be a child. Killian, <laughs> Killian is the only person who can tell, like, who can counteract anything Arthur tells these people. That's true. So, because, I mean, look, if Arthur comes in and says he wants to beat a guy to a bloody pulp, then they're going to let him because otherwise he'll beat them to a bloody pulp. Fair. Yeah. So this is the oldest brother. He should technically be the head of the family, but he is extremely mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. He tried to kill himself in season one. We think he might be gay. Yeah. Uh, very secretly, but it's not clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's just, he has a lot of problems. Well, I feel as like we this, see this, later, like some of that comes out, but this show is a lot less willing to be liberal with the idea that someone could be as openly gay as, as Thomas is. <laughs> yeah. uh, happen, that's so. most shows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas this, this like, show oh, is, no, this is actually how history went. Um, yeah. Where to the extent that he is that he himself doesn't even, you know, know yeah, he it. he may not even se. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's we, him and, uh, oh, I can't, th- uh, from True Detective Season 2, I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. Um, uh, Taylor K- yes. Kirkitch. Yeah. Kirk- I work Kirkitch. with somebody with a similar name, so I'm like, who? <laughs> so we cut back to the bedding parlor, uh, where Killian walks in and talks to some guy who points him back to an office where Finn and Isaiah are sitting. Killian comes in and asks what happened, and then they tell Killian it was a fair fight, but Killian says he saw the body and wants to know what really happened. Uh, Isaiah pleads not being Shelby, which I think is a really good move, Isaiah. Like, like, stay out of this family business. (laughs) Uh, Finn explains that Arthur has blown a fuse six or seven times, and, you know, it just keeps happening. But Killian says that that's two stories. Like, either it was a fair fight, or Arthur's insane, and he tells the boys that they better get their story straight, mm-hmm. and the whole thing was an accident. Yeah. Uh, so good, you know, good talk. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, everybody. Yeah. What really happened? This happened. What really happened? Listen, well, why didn't you tell Yeah, why didn't you just weird... tell them what you want them to say? Yeah, it was really weird. You're yeah. the source like, of all of their income. Like, they were telling the accident story before you made them tell the other yeah, story. That's so why a good you go, point. that's the story we're sticking with. Why they, I guess, like, what? Yeah, yeah. So cut to Arthur looking awful. Just really bad. Killian says that the doctor told him that the boy had a weak heart. Uh, and that, that sounds like something you paid the doctor to say. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that they're going to look after his mother, so it's going to be okay. Not a lot of hearts can hold up to intense beatings by a much bigger man. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wasn't punching him in the heart. <laughs> he had two hearts. <laughs> he- his heart couldn't pump out all the blood that flew out of his body. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't heal all his veins. (laughs) Yeah. So they're maybe in Arthur's room. We don't exactly know where they're at here. 
uh, Arthur says that Polly said that he should have stuck with the medicine, but Arthur told Polly that Tommy knows best. Again, I think Polly may have been onto something. Polly may have been onto something. Arthur says that his head is like a boat loaded down with heavy cargo that sometimes slips and tips the boat. He can feel it tipping over, but that there's nothing he can do about it. Um, and at this point in the scene, Kelly and I looked at each other and were like, is he maybe giving the best performance on the show? Like, he's really good. It's, in this it's not a showy part. And I say that even as, you know, he is beating the shit out of people. Right. But he just, he's really giving this yeoman's performance that's amazing. It yeah. was really intense. This yeah. is, I mean, this and the Tom Hardy scene were the highlights of this episode. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Killian says that they've been home for a long time from the war and that he thought Arthur was all right. Arthur says that he isn't, and he tells Killian to take his gun away, and Killian gets mad, tells him to fuck off, says, oh, you want to, says, oh, you want to be treated like a kid again? Don't you think I have enough on? Um, and he says that he just, the war is over, and Arthur should just shut the door on it like Killian did. And then Arthur jumps up and pushes Killian against the, the mantelpiece, and says that he's not Killian, and everybody knows it. Which is very true. Yeah. Uh, and that, painful for Arthur. Yeah. Killian notices that, that fortunately Arthur is now facing a mirror. So he tells Arthur to take a good hard fucking look at himself. And Arthur does and then collapses in a chair. Killian leaves and then comes back in, picks up Arthur's gun, empties all the bo- bullets out of it, takes a bottle of booze and throws it into the fire <laughs> and walks out. Is there I'm a gonna better s- exit than throwing booze into a fire? I was going to say, I'm going to start ending every conversation that I have. Like, well, see you later. <laughs> to go in first and start a fire. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, I'm committed. I'm ready. I'm ready to make like this it. happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that sound effect cuts like is with Arthur screaming, but we don't hear him screaming. It's, it's really good. Yeah. All right. Now, Rye has to jet because yeah. she yeah. is going to be on yet another podcast. Yeah, yeah. She's very right. in demand. So thank you for being I'm with us. Absolutely. Tour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Buy her album and yes. uh, maybe we'll have you back again sometime. Uh, or listen to my album, One Pandora. <gasps> oh, hey. Oh. Synergy. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much right. for having me on thank here. You. Yeah, thanks I'm, for I'm being here. I'm to meet all your cousins. And uh, <laughs> this is so cool. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. We're going to press forward Ryeless. Yes. Sorry, it's back just to the two of us. I know. Boring, but necessary. Boring old us. Boo. Uh, well, I had coffee today, so <laughs> you're all welcome. Yeah. Moss comes into Sam Neill's office and says he thought they could eat at the desk like the old days. Sam Neill is impressed that Moss remembered he likes tongue and pickle on his sandwiches yeah. with a single stroke of mustard. Yes. Gross. Tongue, yeah. Tongue and pickle, sir, as repulsive as you yourself. <laughs> Sam Neill wastes no time, uh, then wondering aloud how much Killian is paying Moss in bribes. Moss's face falls many stories. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Sam Neill says he knows he's getting two quid a week, eight quid a month. Thanks. We know how long months are. Yeah. Although is it two quid a week or eight quid a month? Because it doesn't quite add up, you know? Well, anyway, (laughs) uh, extras for special favors. Sam Neill shames Moss for no longer being an honest man, and it's really, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. you left town yeah. and were as corrupt. Like, what Sam Neill did when he was in town was much worse than just taking bribes from a gang mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and unabashedly advocate for police to take bribes from gangs in order that, like, 
the rest of the town kind of be left out of it. Right. But like, that's basically what it's for. Yeah. Well, just, they don't want to interfere with police business that doesn't affect them. And if their business is going peacefully, then there's less crime. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Sam Neill tried to orchestrate a giant fucking gang battle in the middle of Birmingham. Because his dick was all busted. Yeah. Like, anyway. Sam Neill now tells Moss that uh, Moss now works for Sam Neill, not Killian. Which I'm like, let's see how long that lasts. (laughs) Right. Because I'm sure Killian is not in any way going to be like, oh, I wonder if this guy has been compromised in some way. As we see Killian in his office and Paul comes in with a leather binder, there's uh, some tense silence. He lights a cigarette and then pulls out the files for Michael and Anna Gray. He points out that one folder is white and the other is black. And never really explains which one is the one that means someone's dead. Right. Uh, but in any case, the dream that Polly had in the previous episode was accurate and Anna is dead. He offers her to read the file, but she asks him to. She says that she can't, and it wouldn't be very dramatic just to see her reading something silently. That's very true. um, Killian explains that Anna was placed with a station master's family in Stafford and never settled, often running away, uh, including one time apparently trying to run away to Birmingham. They ended up sending her to Australia where she died of something called spring that fever. That seems like a really extreme option to go with as your first choice. Well, I think that's less true of England at this time. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I think that was kind of a standard, don't know what to do with them, send them to Australia. Like, that was a thing that people did. I understand, but yeah. it does not seem like a good choice. <laughs> um. I think it's in the same way that the upper classes would go off to Italy if things got, uh, you know... Too, on... too hot for England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, Paul finds Australia on the globe and says that her little Anna traveled all the way across the world to be with Paul in her dreams. Which is very sweet. And it... she says, that's one train they couldn't pull her off of. Yeah. Uh, no, and I mean, it's it's heartbreaking... It's just straight heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Killian then says that Michael is alive and in England and that he went and saw where he lives. Uh, And Paul is getting some crazy eyes going. Killian says that Michael's new mom will never let Michael come to Birmingham and that Killian will therefore not tell Paul where she is because she can't go see him because if she does and the mom still won't let Michael see Paul, then Paul will go nuts and the police will get called and it'll be a big old problem. Polly reacts to this by pulling a gun out of her purse and pointing it at Killian and insisting that he tell her. And he says, Paul, pulling the gun is why I can't tell you. And... I wrote down here that Killian is so bored every time a gun is pulled on him, <laughs> with the exception of when Tom Hardy pulled the gun. Right, but right. But every other instance of him getting a gun pulled on him, he's like, I was in a fucking tunnel. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Well, in this scene, too, when she pulls it out, he like he first like slams the desk and then sits down and says that. And he's just so like... He knew this was going to happen, but he, you know, he doesn't, he wants to tell her he would love to be able to, Mm -hmm. but he knows that he, you know, it would end badly. And again, I just, and it's weird, like in this scene, I have so little empathy for Paul. Yeah. And the longer the series goes on, the less and less empathy I have for her, because I'm like, I understand that your children were taken away from you for a relatively bullshit reason, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm like, you're not a good parent. Yeah. And... 
you know, I think she's right about Arthur being on his medicine. I think she's right about a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but she just like rubs me the wrong way. Mm. And I can't explain why. I mean, it's a great character. Yeah. But I'm just like, I don't think that you are very capable of like having healthy relationships. No. So I'm like, you know, on the one hand, it's great for her to know where her kids are and what happened to them. But on the other hand, I'm like, I don't see you adding a lot of value to this kid's life. No. Like, I'm not necessarily saying that his new family is great, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I... Yeah. She's not stable. She's not. She's, she's definitely not she's stable. She's not as unstable as Arthur. But, you know, and insofar as, you know, Killian does what he wants, but Killian can play chess dozens of moves ahead. And Paul is very reactive, and she can only react to what's in front of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it ends, Killian says that if Paul shoots Killian, then she will never know where Michael is, which I never, but this last time watching it, I was like, wait a minute. Then she'd be in charge. Couldn't she just bribe the same people that Killian just Potentially. did? Potentially. But anyway, it, it it gets the job done of Paul not shooting him, <laughs> which is important. Dan Auerbach's I Want More kicks in. As I the, have not heard of Dan Auerbach. That's I, the first one. I think that Steve Knight must have joined Columbia House. <laughs> That's what I think happened. That's right. He was the very last person ever to join <laughs> Columbia House. <laughs> After they fulfilled his orders, they were like, well, as soon as this guy pays his, like, you know, remaining balance, we got to close up shop. They're like, well, guys, I guess this whole thing is over. And then, like, they're all shaking hands and then the phone rings. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Columbia House? Yes, we have Dan Auerbach's album. <laughs> He's like silently like fist pumping and like <laughs> that's, that's right. somebody pops a bottle of champagne. Why, that's right. Your first 10 are only 99 cents each. <laughs> it's 12. Oh, sure. Just F, you know, credit where credit's due. <laughs> that's right. Um... So the garrison's going to reopen, and Finn and a bunch of boys go to talk to Arthur. Uh, they're walking through the Beeham Ash. <laughs> yeah, it's the garrison grand reopening. No exploding babies allowed. Mm, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> well, hopefully. Arthur is sitting miserably by the fire, drinking, and Finn wants to know why he's not ready for the reopening of his pub. Arthur says that he's staying in and that Finn should go away. Uh, Finn sits down. And says that sometimes when the boys are feeling blue, they do Tokyo, which appears to be cocaine. Yeah. Uh, so, uh... Listen, if I know anything about <laughs> unstable people, it's that cocaine solves all their problems. Yeah, this is going to straighten them right up. Finn says that it will help Arthur for special occasions. Uh, <laughs> Arthur does a line. And then cut to a scene scored by the Arctic Monkeys. If you were there, beware. And Arthur's, you know, there's a, a you know you know coke cam yeah yeah with arthur kind of jauntily walking around but he comes into the party and he's his old self again he's the bell of a ball he's mm-hmm. you know pouring drinks and telling people they look great yeah uh killian sees him and hugs him and he tells uh arthur that tokyo is for race days only yeah uh and he's like you've seen drugged horses right and arthur's like yeah. you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well specifically you've seen them after yeah. the race and killian says you know uh Tokyo is for grand openings and race days only. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure that's going to work out great. Because if we know anything about cocaine (laughs) is that it is not at all addictive. Yeah. And if we know anything about Arthur is self-control. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a real paragon of virtue. (laughs) So Killian goes around working the room and then goes into the back smoking a cigarette. Uh, He then remembers Grace, which, you know, is like, boo. But 
He pulls out her letter and burns it without opening or reading it. Yes. More like this. Yeah. Listen to the sucky kid. <laughs> uh, the door opens and Polly comes in. She is still pissed and not speaking to him. Ada comes into the garrison with Comrade Baby because, of course... Comrade Baby out on the town. You know, a baby is what got this pub blown up in the first place. <laughs> That's right. He's wearing that sailor suit we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Yep. Uh, so she pawns Comrade Baby off on Esme. Poor fucking Esme. <laughs> Granted, yeah. I am still mad at her for telling Killian anything. True, true. Uh, but Killian hands her a drink, and she greets Mumper and Arthur... Ada wants to know uh, what Killian wants her to say to Paul because, of course, Ada never shows up unless somebody is like Ada. Yeah. Although she is sort of like Switzerland in that regard. That's true. You know, if they need to defuse a situation, she can go in and be yeah. semi-neutral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Killian says that, you know, she has to tell Paul that Killian had no choice. Uh, Ada, you know, sidles up to Paul, who's very excited, you know, still to see her but she tells her that she's not an idiot and she knows killian asked her to come but paul says that until she gets an address she's not going to say anything uh until then it's a party and she's going to enjoy herself and she cougars all over a younger man on the dance floor yeah who seems really reticent but then we cut to them having sex and i'm sure this is going to end well yeah boy drunk paul not the best Paul. No, I'm no. not a fan of drunk Paul. No. I'm like, I think you need to not. And this is, this scene, this is about the drunkest we've seen anybody on this show. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. Cause we've seen Arthur. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I mean, Arthur, it's always just kind of hard to tell what exactly is yeah. going on there. But yeah. Uh, cut to Killian in bed with two women. <laughs> He looks even border than when somebody points a gun at his head. Yeah. Uh, this group- well, and like one of them is sleeping the other way. Uh-huh. And I was like, how did, was there a coin toss? <laughs> it's like, which one gets to spoon and which one has to lie, you know, head to toe. Yeah. Uh, but yes, this group sex doesn't seem to have satisfied Killian. No, it does not. Yeah. Uh, Maybe they should have had group sex and, like, he could have, like, jizzed on Grace's letter and <laughs> then put it in the fire. Like, maybe that would have helped. Possibly. That's a little sex magic ritual. <laughs> Listen, I don't know. Have we recommended that yet? I don't know. I don't think so. Look, uh, if you haven't, listened to the L. Ron Hubbard episode of Paul F. Tompkins' uh, Dead Authors podcast yeah. with Andy Daly. It is just, we're not even going to say anything else. Just yeah. Go do, like, okay, finish this. Right. We're almost finish done. this rate it on iTunes. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever. Then go listen to that. Yeah. You will be very happy. You will. You will listen to both episodes. The first one's better, but you know, second one definitely still worth listening yeah. to. Yeah. So anyway, Killian gets up, uh, looks in the ledger book, lights a cigarette. He's moving on with his day. Cut to Paul's walk of shame, uh, which she looks like Grizabella the glamour cat <laughs> from the musical. I'm not kidding. No, you're, you're she absolutely right. She looks exactly right. like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She fumbles for her keys and just looks a right mess. Like yeah. it's not good. Uh, a boy says, excuse me. Uh, and it's Henry slash Michael. Yeah. Who we met previously. Mm-hmm. He says he's looking for someone called Elizabeth Gray. Right. I guess her name is Elizabeth Pollyanna Gray. I guess. Which is a horrible name. Yeah, that's Thanks weird. a lot, gypsies. I was almost like, did he only catch the last name and was just kind of guessing on Elizabeth? Like, I, I don't was know. Just, that was weird. I mean, look, it's not a bad guess. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but she wasn't there the night before, so he just waited. I'm like, you waited in Birmingham. On the street. All night. Without catching on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Paul 
wants to know what he wants with Elizabeth Gray, and he says he thinks she might be his mother. Paul just straight drops her keys, yeah. and then Henry slash Michael picks them up and opens her door, and that's the end of the episode, yeah. which is a pretty solid ending. That is a pretty like, solid ending. And damn. Wow, this is not how Polly imagined this going down look i mean honestly i would say if you've got estranged children you hope to one day be reunited with don't go on benders yeah. you know like just don't even have that as an option of a way that you could be reunited with them just be like i'm gonna live like a quaker until i've found my children and then look out <laughs> Oh, bets are off. <laughs> I got my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. Shots. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love this show. Yeah, I do too. I love it. This was fun. It was great having Rye. It was. Uh, you know, again, sorry everybody that Rye had to leave. But yeah. She had to go record another podcast with a much twitchier podcaster than we are. We all had brunch, you know. Yeah, we didn't we, care. We were in no hurry. We but... were like, la, la. But this other person was like, hey, we have to. Uh, and we were like, okay. We have to go back to the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we will be back next week with an all new recap. Uh, and I think another guest. I think you're right. I hate. I'm, I'm not going to say anything more because I hate to like, yeah. you know, jinx it. Right. In case uh, she cancels. But, you know. Fingers crossed, everybody. Fingers crossed. All right. Uh, so we'll see you next time. By order of the Peaky Blinders.